City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to the Hornets and Heartbreak podcast on the All Hornets Podcast Network. One podcast feed with multiple shows making sure we cover the Charlotte Hornets from every angle. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. The All Hornets Podcast is affiliated with the Fans First Sports Podcast Group. On today's show, we talk about Mark Williams and the lack of paint protection against the Timberwolves. We also talk about the Nets game, the bright spots of Terry Rozier balling out, um, and some hot shooting from some of the young players on the team. We also dive into some of the moves that we would make differently if we were the Hornets front office going into the season. Thanks and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Hornets on Heartbreak podcast. My name is Mark Bernanke and I'm here with my co-host Tim Rogers. What's up Tim? What do you do? Liquor Mark. I'm doing pretty well man. Tim how are you? Oh, man, I am doing fantastic. The Hornets, we finally signed some competent backup guards. Oh, wait, no, we're in the same position we were last week. I'm doing terrible, man. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think it was you who needed, needed that episode last week, more so, more so than me. Um, everything we said last week is true, but I think give, giving it a little bit of time, uh, I'm, I'm ready to talk about the Hornets again uh, from a more logical and, like, professional professional way this this week i think on saturday the hornets lost to the timberwolves 123 to 117 a close game tim i guess you could call it an exciting game but i was not particularly inspired i was actually at that game uh watched every second of it i was like with three friends and they were probably annoyed at how closely i was watching every play um, and I might have even annoyed myself at how closely I was watching every single play because it was not not the most inspiring game. Like anytime that Brandon Miller isn't going off, he only had 14 points. Or I don't know, Terry Rozier isn't doing what he did against the Nets. This team can just get get a little bit boring. It was a good game for PJ Washington. He ended up with like the best plus minus. Uh, but th- the real depressing thing was just how easily the Timberwolves were getting to the rim, and every single one of their centers scored 20 or more points that's Nas Reed with 23 cat with 28 and Rudy Gobert with a season high 26 um and yeah it just felt like we had absolutely no rim protection brutal game from Mark Williams who finished with six fouls fouled out and just like could not guard anybody 
Same thing can be said about Nick Richards and his limited playing time. And yeah, it just it just was not not a particularly fun game to go to, to be honest. Um, with how close it was, it felt like I should be enjoying it more, but not not my favorite game I've been to, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I would say watching from home, I was like, oh man, you know, it's I didn't have high expectations going into the game. Um, and you know, watch, I was like, okay, this is a close game, you know, doing it, but after like the third or fourth time, Mark Williams just completely sold out to contest a Mike Conley shot that everyone in the arena except for him knew was not going to be a shot. Uh, got a little tiresome. Yeah, I mean, just bludgeoned in the paint. Um, Timberwolves, they looked all right, but it's just kind of, I guess, humbling. After, you know, day after day of just watching, like, Rudy Gobert's, Rudy Gobert's standard play the last five years is open under the basket, passes a little late, he fumbles it, has to, you know, recover, then gets fouled and goes one of two from the line, and then he plays the Hornets and our supposedly stud defensive uh, centerpiece, Mark Williams, and has a career high for the his time in Minnesota. Pretty disparaging. Was that his... Career high in Minnesota? Uh, I believe it's tied for his career high. He had one last season in like March. Yeah. Maybe it was 27. Either way. Um, His first time scoring over 20 points this season. And, you know, call it what you will. Maybe some some balls, you know, bounced his way. But uh, Mark Williams just wasn't even in position. And it led to Steve Clifford not taking any questions at a press conference and pretty much just calling the team soft. And coach speak, I don't normally agree with, but just a horrible, horrible defensive effort. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and Mark Williams, you know, we, we've said like a, a lot of good things about him on this podcast, but both you and I were texting back and forth about just how brutal of a game it was um, for him specifically on the defensive end. And it's not something that shows up in the box score. I mean, you had to watch the game to to kind of see it like – it just felt like, especially at the, the first half, like so many easy looks at the rim. We were not defending the pick and roll well enough at, at all. It was, a, it was a terrible defensive game for a team in Minnesota that didn't have their best player, Anthony Edwards, playing. We let them score 123 points. Um, and, yeah, this team has, like, no defensive chops at the moment. Um, and it's some, something, something to improve on for sure. Yeah, it's always funny. Like, people talk about the modern NBA, and they're like, well, defense doesn't matter. And then you actually watch the Hornets, and you're like, damn, dude, does maybe defense does matter. It's mm-hmm. like, how is it possible that we just don't have, like, one guy who is just, you know, obviously Jaden McDaniels is very good, and he wasn't playing. Uh, ankle injury has been out for a couple weeks. But, like, even like the Timberwolves, like, they have, like, some designated just defensive players. Like, how don't you just, like, you can't just fall backwards into one of those guys? Yeah, I mean, it's also notable that we don't have any good like guard defense. Um, I think Miles Bridges and PJ Washington are good defenders, but Miles Bridges defending Cat in person, it was like this is not going to work. Like Miles Miles Bridges is just way too small to guard Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, that's a very tall defensive task. I don't know who can guard Carl Carl Anthony Towns, but Miles Bridges could not either, even though he's a he's a pretty good defender. Um, so we we're just outmatched on the defensive end of the end of the court. And at times our offense also also looked kind of lost. Um, although we did end up scoring 117 points, which is definitely definitely not bad. Let's let's dive in a little bit more on the Mark Williams thing. 
So advanced stats this year, he is kind of like an analytics darling. Um, he has some some extremely good uh, advanced stats where his like offensive rating is very, very high when he's on the court. I believe it's like it was like 140 a couple weeks Maybe. ago. It's the yeah. High- yeah. What were you saying? No, I said it's the highest in the league. He's at a uh, 140. Yeah. Yeah. So he has some very good advanced stats um, and he's put averaging a double double. So I don't think it's time to like really stress out about Mark Williams struggling in his second year against some way, way above average centers in, in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert. Um, but it is like a noticeable issue that anytime the Hornets go up against a good center, like an above average center, Mark Williams seems to struggle defensively. Um, so it's just something something to point out. I'm not I'm not freaking out about it. It is his second season. Um, so I'm prepared to uh, counter any of the arguments that you have here, Tim. Okay, um, how would you like to explain the world-beating Detroit Pistons, where he is averaging two points and three rebounds? Um, I would like to say that those are anomalies, where uh, on average he's averaging 13 points and 10 rebounds, and that against the Pistons, for some reasons, he's just struggling. Uh, what What is that, Isaiah Stewart and James Wiseman? I mean... Yeah, not not particularly concerned. Durant. about are yeah. don't, dip, don't dip on the Durant talk. I just dipped it. I just dipped it. Uh, yeah, I think it's Isaiah Stewart. Um, and yeah, I'll just I'll just say that's just an anomaly. Um, he's gotten torched by Bam Adebayo in the preseason and the uh, regular season, averaging eleven points, seven rebounds, and I believe four fouls. Okay. Okay. So counterpoint, um, he's. Averaging 13 and 10 in his second season. Rudy Gobert in his second season, uh, not an offensive player for sure, but was not averaging the same numbers, averaging only eight points and nine rebounds. Okay. Yeah, but after they traded Enos Cantor at the All Star break, they were also like the number one defense in the league whenever he played. And as we discussed, it's not there for Mark Williams right now. Yeah, it's a bit weird. So in his rookie year, he was the other, like, he was better on defense than he was on offense. And then this year he's way better on offense than he is on defense. So it's a bit confusing, but yeah, it's still, still very early in his career. He only played in 43 games last year. He's played in 18 this season. There's going to be a learning curve. And like, it seems like he's been on this team for forever, but last year he didn't get playing time at the beginning of the year. Again, he only played in 43 games. So I, I mean, it's not, he hasn't even, pl- even played 82 yet. He hasn't even played a full season um i'm down to just let him make some mistakes and i'm, I'm not going to call it an issue until next year really i'll start calling it issue like after all-star break i don't actually think it's it's more like concern trolling right now except for it's like i know mitchell robinson is having one of like the best offensive rebounding seasons since moses malone but kind of wish that maybe he could average a little more than you know 10 points eight rebounds against them he threw up that nine and six against Houston. They've played him, you know, against Brooklyn the first game. Kind of got played off the floor uh, with them going small, which didn't make sense. Um, and you know, they they remedied that against Washington a couple games later. I think it's it's good. It's just I guess it's also a thing where, you know, we always joke about the Hornets slash Bobcats have never really had any big men. I've actually never gone through this before, where like you know, watching Lamelo after going through Kemba. Gerald Henderson and like seeing guards struggle and you know obviously uh Gilchrist is a wing 
watching him struggle. I've never actually gone through the experience of watching like a big man I had hope for, like go through growing pains. Like Cody Zeller, I never really had like huge hopes for. Uh, same with Frank Kaminsky. But yeah, watching Williams, it's a little more frustrating. And I guess that does come with the fact that expectations are higher because like I do think he's a good player. I just also wish that he could do something against someone that wasn't Daniel Gafford. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's completely fair. I think what you just pointed out, though, is, is exactly the case. Like, we have high, you have high expectations for him, so you're expecting more of him uh, more quickly. But if Cody Zeller was doing this in his second year, we would have been rejoicing. Or if Frank Kaminsky was doing this in his second year, we would have been rejoicing. <laughs> I will say the one thing that's a little bit frustrating is, like, he was talked about as, like, somebody who could maybe have some range. That's just not true. He's not, he's not going to have range, I don't think. Um, like from three to 10 feet this year, he's shooting 40%, um, from 10 to 16 feet, he's shooting 50%, but on extremely low, low volume, he's only taking like one shot from there. So, and he's never, never taking a three, never taking a shot from more than 16 feet this season. So he, he's not a player who's going to shoot mid range shots. And like this off season, he was like, Oh, he's got the green light to shoot threes. That shit is just never true. Uh, when people say that about a big man, you have to actually see it first, uh, for, for that to become a thing. And like, I mean, maybe he's practicing this three-point shot, but but he was talked about like somebody who could potentially shoot, and I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, but I still think the free throw is solid. You know, he did have that one free throw line jumper against Dallas a month ago. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they did actually say that exact same thing in the Observer about um, RIP Rick Bennell, um about Cody Zeller. They were like, man, he's got three-point range. Like, you know, they'll break it out soon enough. I just want to coach one time to look at Mark Williams or Derek Lively and just be like, oh, man, that guy? No, he's never going to shoot a three in a game. Yeah. Be honest. It's, yeah. Like, it's not like the scouting report is like, oh, man, in July they said that he might be popping out to three. It's like, I'll just be honest, man. He's a rim runner. And obviously he's very good at that. His usage is insanely low. Mm. No, I mean, he's, he's under 20% from the season. Not crazy for a big man. It's not like, you know. We're not, like, running offense through him. I mean, we start off actions with him, but don't run it through him. Um, yeah, I mean, like, again, 15th pick in the draft. Pretty good. Yeah. He's not, like, saying he's a bum or anything, but uh, you get those high expectations. You know, played so well against Atlanta the first game, first game of the season, everyone comes out hot. But, uh, yeah, just, I don't know. Like, when we were playing a good, uh, a good front court, I'm kind of just like, okay, well, if Mark gets, you know, 10 and 10, I'll be happy tonight. How do you think he's going to do it tonight against the Bulls? Um, I think, you know, I'm, I'll call it now. I'll say uh, 14 points, 12 rebounds, two blocks, uh, six of seven shooting. He's going to have a good game is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, okay, let's move on. He, the Hornets beat the Nets last Thursday after we released the most depressing episode in Hornets and Heartbreak history. Uh, so that was a nice little – Nice little uh, wake-up call that the Hornets can actually still win some games. Uh, me and you both were texting after that. Let's let's not get too excited here. The Hornets shot like over 50% from three in that game. And if you took away P.J. Washington's misses, they shot like 70% on, on threes in that game. So they were just incredibly hot shooting. But it, that, that game was very, very fun on the podcast. I think I said basically that the offense running through Terry Rozier at the point guard is not effective. 
And that has been true in the past. Him, him as the point guard, the offense just is not is not going to work. He's not a good enough passer. But in this game, he had a career high in assist, 13 assists against the Nets. And what do you have, 37? 37 yep. points? Yeah, 37 points. And uh, he, he was just balling out. Uh, a classic game from Terry, like one of Terry's best games ever, if not his best game ever. Um, career high in assists by two assists. And it worked. It worked in that game. Uh, it was it was a very fun game to watch. It it was a fun game to watch. Um, you know, we always talk about you know, like the first ten games of the season. You know, we were teams were shooting thirty nine percent against us. And we were shooting, I think, like thirty point four percent. So obviously, that is going to even out. You normally just don't see a team go nineteen of twenty five from three, excluding PJ Washington in that game normally you think like it'll average out over time but sometimes it does you know when it rains it pours it was a great game to watch um terry was cooking he was cooking for the mid-range closed the game um but yeah it was just one of those games where it's not super in-depth analysis but it's like can't really take anything from that yeah defense looked a little like you know looked a little spotty per usual and then it's like yeah i mean you know if your team shoots 50 percent from three and perfect from the line you would hope to win by more than one point against the Nets. Yep, yep, and we did only win by one point, 129-128. A takeaway from that game for me, Bryce McGowan's was 4 of 5 from 3. Nick Smith Jr. was 3 for 3 from 3. And, uh, you know, Bryce McGowan's is getting minutes. He played in the game against um, the Timberwolves and, and scored two points on the dunk. I think Nick Smith Jr. should not be in the G League. I think I think he should just be playing more on this team because of the lack of depth at guard where we don't have any other options, I would just like to see us playing him more. And this goes along with what I said last week that I don't, I don't think, I don't think this season is the season where we're going to make the playoffs. Like just let Nick Smith jr. Run uh, and play and play with the uh, NBA team. I think, I think like developing him in the G league is like a reasonable strategy for sure. But, but I'd like to see him just play on the, on the actual squad because he's not done poorly in his minutes. Uh, he's 8 of 12 from 3. Um, he has, like, some problems defensively. He's not a great passer. But, I mean, this team needs a little bit more juice. Um, and why not look to somebody who's a rookie player who could come in and provide some energy to give give the team a spark? Yeah, I feel like, you know, as, uh, they say, as Matthew McConaughey says, Time is a flat circle, and I do agree with that. I just know once Frankie Smokes comes back and is healthy, Smith is going to hit the bench, sadly. And we made this argument the first season of the pod when the Martin Twins were playing over Malik Monk. It's like, how valuable is a defensive stopper guard on your backup unit? Like, how often are you like, whoa, man, Trey Jones is coming in the game. We need someone to slow him down. Like, <laughs> why not just get these young guys reps, man? And, like, I hope that, you know, Smith does earn that role and, like, earns those minutes. And I'm interested to see what's going to happen going forward, um, you know, when the uh, team is a little depleted right now. Hopefully he does show out. Um, but even, like, you know, watching it, I think I texted you. I was like, wow, this kind of looks like what we wanted James Booknight to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, obviously not an extremely high bar at the moment but um no man he gets like genuine separation he has a handle 
Like, you know, he's not going to continue to shoot 67% from three, but he's getting open looks. Like, he is creating for himself. How does he work within the flow of, like, a structured offense and a non-blowout situation, non, like, you know, loosey-goosey game? I don't know, but we have to find out. Since yeah. this is pretty much the pick that we just moved back 14 picks in the in the draft, you know, a year later to make. So it's like, man, develop these guys. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And this has been sort of the Hornets' MO for for forever is develop, develop the draft picks in the G League. Um, but also, yeah, how, how did that work with James Booknight and Kai Jones? Like, there's you can question that strategy, um, especially on a team that's six and twelve. Like, I, I don't really see the need the need for that. A team that's depleted of some depth, a team that needs guard, uh, good guard play. Like, would you rather have Terry Rozier and Nick Smith Jr. out there, or would you rather have Terry Rozier and Ish Smith out there? Like, I don't, I don't know. What's the point? See, that's a that's a trick question. I don't want any of them. I want Frankie folks out there running the point, dude. He's coming back, baby. All right, let, let's get into this. So, so um, this podcast is brought to you by AllHornets.com, a credentialed Charlotte Hornets outlet powered by Sports Illustrated. AllHornets.com's aim is to bring you 360-degree coverage on all things Charlotte Hornets. From breaking news, rumors, fan Q&As, and in-depth analysis, AllHornets.com covers it all, and nobody does it better. Miles on Instagram asked, what would y'all change about the current roster slash coaching staff if you were the GM. Um, and Tim, I asked you specifically to prepare just sort of a list of the good moves or mistakes that Mitch Kupchak has made over the past like few years, and especially, uh, especially focused on this year. So uh, take it away. Okay. Um, well, I just want to say Kupchak, if you just look at the draft history, I think it's actually pretty good. I said last week, other than the 21 draft where he completely whiffed on Book Knight and Jones, uh, still got JT Thor in the second round, and we'll see how that goes. Not looking great at the moment, but he did nab Miles Bridges with his first pick, PJ Washington the next year, um, Devontae Graham also in the second round of that Miles Bridges draft. So, like, that right there. It's like, okay, great, great. Nailed the LaMelo pick. Uh, you know, we were third in a third or a three-player draft at the time. Um, so I think, you know, all of that looks good. Um, both Mark, Mark Williams. Yeah, Mark Williams. But then you actually look a little deeper and you're like, oh, so we originally drafted Shea Gildress Alexander, but we traded back, but we got those two second-round picks, man. Wasn't that so cool, so worth it? Just can't see the forest through the trees on that one. Um, I think he's had an obsession with second round picks and maybe like, you know, even he, I think he has like an above average hit rate on them, but it still hasn't really turned into anything. And then Devonte Graham. So he walks and I think he gets a really good deal for him, a lottery or a top 14 protected pick from uh, the Pelicans turns out to be the 13th pick best case scenario turns that into the 27th pick in the draft. It's not a great look. They're always just moving one like they're they're too smart for their own goods, where it's like maybe just take some of these guys. Also, Cupcheck has a history of holding on to guys for too long. Uh, we talked about it last week. Kemba Walker. Yes, did we trade it? Trade him for what turned out to be, you know, Terry Rozier in a signing trade? Yes. Could we have gotten more and also signed Terry outright? Yes, we could have done that. We could have just traded him at the trade deadline. Uh, Malik Monk, 
okay, he had problems with coach. He had a substance abuse issue. Cool. The talent was always there. Like there was never a question. This wasn't a book night situation. Like whenever Malik Monk got consistent playing time, he was very good. And what did we get from Malik Monk, Mark? Drum roll. Nothing. Nothing other than enjoyment of watching him kick ass on the Kings, a playoff team, playing the exact role we knew he should have been playing. But we had to play Michael Carter-Williams for defense. It's just like these little things. Even the um, – so we acquired Dwight Howard. Cool. Didn't work out. Wasn't a good fit for the team. So we trade him for Timothy Mozgov, who has – an extra year on his deal. Timothy Mozgov, who Mitch Kupchak signed in the first place, which is known as one of the worst off-seasons of all time. Timothy Mozgov and Luol Deng for over $100 million in 2016, to the point where their agents had to check to make sure it wasn't a prank call because it was 12.01. And then he reacquired that deal and had to stretch him. And then same with Nikola Batum. Okay, we could have just eaten that money, but no, we had to stretch it out losing nine million dollars in cap space for three years just so we could overpay gordon hayward so he made the lamello pick they were clearly not confident that lamello was going to be a solid nba player off bat so they felt they had to bring in hayward and so we did that great hayward was there of course he got injured and but the time that he did play our team was good enough that we jumped from the seventh pick in the draft which could have been Franz Wagner, and instead we end up with James Booknight. But hey, veteran leadership, right? There are just so many of these short-sighted moves that don't really add up when you're also trading back for later picks. It's like, you need these picks now. You need to get on base. You need doubles. You need like a home run pick in the middle of the lottery. But instead, oh man, those juicy second round picks. And Kupchak's first move was firing Steve Clifford um, in April of 2018, I believe. And there's a good chance his last move is going to be firing Steve Clifford before he is also shit-canned. I don't think he's the worst GM in the world, but there is just no vision to what he's doing. We have just been waiting with bated breath since the uh, two off-seasons ago of like, well, uh, once Miles Bridges gets back, him and Lamelo are good friends. They'll figure things out. It's just a team with no vision. I'm sorry. This is just like three minutes of uninterrupted rambling off the top of my head. But it's just like when you go and like look through all these moves, you're just like, what? what is going – it seems like a different person is making half of the moves. No, um, I, I overall agree with you. Great, great rant. There is no vision. Uh, there was a vision like two years ago, three years ago. Uh, when we had when we had the team like young and improving with the the Malik Monk, Lamelo, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, little core, um, and just like slowly like the team has just gotten less and less young and like less less young pieces to be excited about, and we're not we're not really adding anything. We're just counting on these like three players to develop like Lamelo, Miles, and PJ, and, and now of course we have new pieces, Mark Williams and Brandon Miller, but. But like we're not acquiring anybody in free agency. We're just rolling back kind of the same same core year after year. And we said it at the time, Tim, the the Gordon Hayward move. You know, we don't dislike Gordon Hayward, the player. You know, we, we don't dislike him as a player. But the contract has been terrible from day one. Um, we said it on like our second podcast ever that this was a terrible move. $30 million is just too much money to pay him. 
And we said it at the time, like you just repeated, that this is going to make us get a worse draft pick. And what do you know? Three years later, we got some bad draft picks. Like we got James Booknight, we got we got Kai Jones, and like you exactly just said, we could have had Franz Wagner. Like we could have been just slightly worse in that first Lamelo season. Guess what? Lamelo still would have won Rookie of the Year. All those players still would have played well. Gordon Hayward just not being on the team would have made us a little bit worse, and we would have gotten a better draft pick, and the team would be better off. We could have Franz Wagner right now, um, and that's a depressing depressing thought. Like it was just bad process like trying to make the team what is this win now move when we're horrible like it doesn't make any sense <laughs> uh, you know, now like we know what lamello is but at the time it was looked as like okay lamello he's gonna have a brutal rookie year that was the thoughts so it's like ah just yeah like luckily he did nail that pick but it's like so the lamello pick was five steps forward and he somehow moved six steps back it's almost impressive yeah yeah and okay so we'll say what would y'all change about the current roster slash coaching staff? Just like draft wings, right? Like use the 13th pick to draft a wing. Like I'm excited about Nick Smith Jr., but we could we could have – who could we have with the 13th pick? We right could now? have Tari Eason. We could have Trey Murphy. We could have Sangoon. And all these guys were like in that – like it wasn't like they were second-round picks or anything. Like that was the draft range. Like Sangoon fell in the draft. Mm. And we needed a big man at that point. <laughs> like it's just – Wait, uh, saying, you're talking about Sangoon the year before. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so, I mean, <sighs> the backup point guard thing for me is, like, the biggest the biggest just mistake this year. Um, signing Frank Natilakina is just not getting it done. Like, people are excited about his defensive play, but dude averaged, like, two points per game for the Mavs last year. Like, he, he's just not worked for five years in the NBA. Why is he going to work now? I mean, I agree with it as like a flyer, as like the third point guard, but where's our second point guard, right? Edmund Sumner, we signed him. I thought maybe another flyer. Nope, he's gone. James Booknight, <clears throat> not a point guard, not even a shooting. I mean, not not a guard, uh, not, not an NBA player. He Nick Smith Jr. He might be a good lifeguard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nick Smith Jr., uh, not a point guard, a buggy getter. Bryce McGowan's a work in progress. Uh, I think he he could be in the G League as well right now. Amari Bailey, a work in progress. Okay, not not somebody you're counting on to run second second string units. And Ish Smith, I'm sorry. Like if you have Ish Smith and Nick Richards in on the court at the same time, you're not going to win games. That, that's just it's just like we have too many bad players. Ish, Ish Smith is a solid third point guard. He's not a good backup point guard. You need somebody else with the history of LaMelo getting hurt. It's kind of unbelievable that we didn't sign somebody, a competent back backup point guard. Um, and here's a list of people who are available. Goran Dragic, Gabe Vincent, Dennis Smith Jr., who reportedly uh, didn't want to sign with the Hornets, uh, Austin Rivers, George Hill, John Wall. I'm not sure if, if some of these names would be better than Ish Smith. But it's just other options, more more veteran, like established players that the Hornets could have signed in, instead of like Frank Nisilakina, Edmund Sumner, Ish Smith. Um, it seems like one of those guys would have would have worked better, uh, especially Gabe Vincent. Like, I don't, I don't know why we didn't make a move at him. Um, I think Gabe, Gabe and Gordon, I think those are two dudes that probably just didn't want to play in Charlotte. Mm hmm. So they got, you know, it's hard to turn down playing in L.A. We're going to be like, you know, eighth man. 
versus like, oh, you might, you'll get spot minutes in Charlotte. I could see that. And Goran didn't want to like, you know, move from his family and play for, you know, two and a half million dollars to hang out in Charlotte. I get that. But yeah, any, anything else that's in the, the Frankie smokes, Frank Tilkina, like, why does he still have a roster spot? Like if we, let's say we waived him today. I mean, is he getting picked up off waivers? Like, you know, it was a team working him out right away. It's like, you know, we play fantasy basketball. It's a nerdy thing to say, but like there's certain guys on like the back end of your roster where you're like, oh man, I can't drop them. I know there's got to be some trade value there. And then you end up dropping them and you pick them up two and a half weeks later because no one wants him. That's Frankie Spokes. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I hope for the best for this team, Tim. We, we're not saying these negative things because we're not rooting for the Hornets. We watch every game and we're just we're just hoping that something's going to work. Uh but it's just frustrating. It's frustrating. The, the moves that we're making are not improving the team. Um, and it's time, time to hold somebody accountable. So that's that's what we're doing today. Tim, this is a perfect transition into a segment that's uh, new to the podcast. Why are you a Charlotte Hornets fan? All right, we asked this question on Instagram, at Hornets Podcast. Give us a follow. And we got two answers. The first one from Carson. He says, I'm a fan of the, short, of the Hornets because my name is Carson. Capital of Nevada is called Carson City. So when I was little, I was rooting for all University of Nevada sports. And I was like, okay, where where the hell is this going? Then he said, awful stretch. No good at any sports. Then one March Madness run led by two twins. The Wolfpack had a small little Cinderella story. Cody got drafted by the Hornets. And then I found out MJ was the owner. And I just immediately became a fan. Gotta say, that is one of the most interesting Charlotte Hornets fandom stories I've ever heard. Uh, shout out to Carson. He gives us some great questions every time we ask for them. One of our biggest fans on Instagram. Um, yeah, crazy story. Yeah, nothing but respect. I mean, when I was when I was younger, I liked uh, Tim Burton as a movie director because his name was Tim. And um, honestly, Tim Burton and the Charlotte Hornets have kind of hit similar trajectories where it was looking really good in 93 and not looking so good in 2023. All right, we also got another answer from Bianca on Instagram. She is from Germany, a German Charlotte Hornets fan. Uh, she says, because I love agony, pain, and sorrow. Uh, and that is the name of our podcast, Tim Hornets and Heartbreak, Agony, Pain, and Sorrow. Those those themes fit in with uh, with our theme. So shout out to Bianca, also also a very uh, loyal fan on, on Instagram. Uh, DM us at Hornets Podcast if you want us to read your story on the next episode. Mark, why are you a Hornets fan? Great question, Tim. Um, I don't know. Yeah, so I, when I was when I was little, I mean, I was a Bobcats fan, like, you know, 10, 10 years old. I was starting to become a Bobcats fan. I started, like, reading the box scores in the newspaper and watching when I could. And I think I really got hooked when we were 7-59. and 59. I was like, wow, this team is horrible. Like, what's going to happen next? Like, is, it, is this team going to be so – so bad for years to come or like are we going to improve and then they and then they did improve um and there was that year with with Al Jefferson I mean I was I was a fan before this but the year with Al Jefferson is like one of my fondest moments of of basketball fandom Al was just unstoppable third team all NBA and you pointed this out earlier Tim like we didn't have like three-point shooting to think about like it was just like man how, how are teams going to stop Al and is, is he going to continue to to score at this pace uh, sorry to ruin the story, but he, he didn't in the, in the following years, but, um, Kemba Walker started playing really well. He was super fun to watch. And yeah, that's when I became a 
hooked is when, is when the Hornets hit rock bottom, seven and 59. Um, and I was playing basketball in my cul-de-sac. A basketball has always been sort of a way for me to like, just clear my head. I would do that whenever I was mad about something or just like stress. I would go play basketball by myself, just shoot around. Um, and shooting basketball, talking about basketball became one of my favorite things to do. It's a great thing. Yeah. I mean, I, genuinely right this is so embarrassing um i loved you know like i loved you know steven jackson's my guy but on that 759 team i thought that dj white was just such a cool player to watch <laughs> like, like that bit and he always would just take unnecessary fadeaways and i just remember like playing with my neighbors being like dj white <laughs> <laughs> there was something about that team that had such a charm He's like oh man ever not man he was really putting up, you know, work with the uh, with the Mavericks in the early two thousands. Jamario Moon, man, he played with he played with LeBron. That's so cool. Oh, Nazari Muhammad, another guy who had a great fade around or fadeaway jumper that never went in. It was a charm to that team. There was, there was, and just just watching loss after loss and thinking about what could be, thinking about what could be Bismack and Kemba. You know, it was it was an exciting time in a weird way. Uh, with how bad they were I bet Sixers fans like feel a similar way trust the process like you know except it actually worked out for them but like I bet a lot of a lot of people were like huh maybe this process will pan out it's it's kind of <laughs> like when you hit rock bottom you, you get into it um it's, yeah and I, was, yeah. I, mean, I was a fan before that but I, I honestly that's when I became the most fan so I agree with Bianca love agony pain and sorrow Tim what do you have for media corner uh for media corner I'm gonna go with uh Stephen uh, Stephen Reed, uh, the album is called Bossa, comma, Jazz Masters. Um, it is just a great, I believe it's from 1972 or 73. Uh, you know, he plays, he plays the keys, plays a little piano. Fantastic record, 32 minutes, five songs. And it's pretty much just a early look at what jazz fusion could be with, I guess, you know, a little bit of like a Cuban influence. Fantastic record to read to, walk to, live with. Okay, I'm gonna go with uh, the show Glee. Uh, me, me and my mom the other day were on on Friday night. I was kind of sick, so I was just hanging out at home, uh, and we were like scrolling through Hulu or whatever. And I was like, "Wait a second, let's watch let's watch Glee," because you know I got to meet her in the middle between like what I like to watch and what she likes to watch. So that seemed like a a reasonable compromise, and it was like a blast from like 2011 or wh- whenever that show was was out. Because I, I I watched like the first couple seasons of that show. Uh, gotta say, dude, Sue Sylvester on that show, classic character, hilarious. Uh, very, very good show, still holds up. Kind of hard to watch with the number of actors that are now dead, unfortunately, uh, on, on that show. There's like there's like three of them. It's, it's kind of wild because they were all pretty young when they died. Uh, but yeah, yeah, still holds up 10 years later. Great show. Um, a little uh, little connection there. Uh, Stephen Reed did the um, the musical compositions for the first two seasons. <laughs> Look at that, dude. We're on we're on the same page today. Um, cool. All right, Tim. It, it's been real. Uh, who you got? Who you got tonight against the Bulls? I'm gonna say the Charlotte Hornets win 160 to 67. Okay, I'm gonna go Bulls with uh, 120 to 112. Uh, a much more realistic score, but. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now the Bulls have been terrible this year. I think the Hornets can get it done. It's going to be kind of a weird game to watch because every time we play the Bulls, 
it's like the matchup that could have been Lamelo versus Lonzo, and instead neither of them are playing tonight. Um, yeah, somehow that might have been a brighter future for us. Uh, I think it's going to be weird to watch because when you log into Bowie Sports, they're going to be like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, shout out to Bowie Sports. <laughs> uh, all right, Deb, it's been real. All right, it's been real, Liquor Mark. Be safe. Peace.